All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray. And whoever God allows to go astray will never find guidance. I bear witness there is no God but God, alone without any partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. Oh, who you believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due, and make sure you devote yourselves to God to your dying moment. Today's the title of my khutbah is Language, Gender, and the Historical Evolution of the Khutbah. Growing up in Sialkot, Pakistan, I heard Friday khutbah through the loudspeakers of the local mosque every week. The lyrical voice of the local khatib was so mesmerizing that consciously or unconsciously, it instilled Islamic values and history in my head. Even today, I can visualize myself as a young girl skipping through the alleys of Mianapura, dreaming about the gardens of heaven with flowing rivers filled with milk and honey, and lush gripe grapes hanging on wines for everyone to share. The Hatib spoke in Punjabi, the local language of my working class neighborhood. For his sermons, he cited a few verses from the Quran in Arabic, followed by the translation and tafsir explanation in Punjabi. The rest of his khutbah included the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, sayings and actions, as well as legendary stories from early Islamic history in Punjabi. In other words, the Khatib's role encompassed several aspects. He served as a vessel through which we learned the Quran and Hadith, as well as the applications of these scriptures in our lives. The short stories included in the khutbah inspired us to follow the footsteps of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his companions. For example, almost every year, to commemorate the beginning of the Islamic calendar, the Hatab would share the story of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him's hijrah, which is migration from the city of Mecca to Medina. In this migration narrative, the Khatib embedded the heroic stories of several characters who helped Muhammad, Prophet, peace be upon him, to safely escape from Mecca while he was being pursued by those who wanted to assassinate him. For instance, I learned about the generosity of the Prophet's best friend, Abu Bakr al-Siddiqi, who sold all of his belongings and accompanied him on the hijrah. I learned about the courage of the Prophet's cousin and son-in-law, Imam Ali ibn Talib, who risked his life and slept in Prophet Muhammad's bed on the night of his escape to deceive the assassins who believed the Prophet was still under the covers. Last but not the least, 
I learned about the spider, which quickly built a thick cobweb on the mouth of cave Taura, where the Prophet Muhammad and Abu Bakr were hiding during his, the journey. The spider web deflected the search committee, search party of the Quraysh, to whom it appeared that the cave had been abandoned and they passed by without inspecting it. That Friday khutbah, like other mainstream stories about the Hijra, provided rich and intricate details about the Prophet's escape from Mecca, but continued to marginalize the contributions of Asma bin Abu Bakr. A reading of the life of the Prophet, written by prominent early Islamic historian Ibn Hashim, reveals that Asma, the elder daughter of Abu Bakr, played a pivotal role in keeping the Prophet Muhammad and her father safe. On the night of the escape, the Quraysh party came to her home and demanded to know her and demanded to know their whereabouts. Several months pregnant, Asma stood firm and kept the secret of their hideout even after Abu Jahl, a Quraysh leader, slapped her face so violently that her earring flew off. In addition, Asma prepared and delivered food for them. The Prophet Muhammad gave her the title of Datil Nikatin, the possessors of the two belt, for her inventive idea of using the belt of her dress to tie up bags of food and water for them to carry on their journey. Asma proudly kept that title till her death. Within Islamic history, there are countless courageous women like Asma who contributed to developing and spreading Islam. For example, Hatija bin Holid was the first person to accept Islam. Sumaira bin Hattab for the first martyr within Umar. Nusiba al-Kaaba fought in the battle of Ahad and used her shield to protect the Prophet, peace be upon him. Sumaira bin Nikah oversaw the market operations during the Prophet's lifetime. The Prophet pointed, appointed Omevaraka to lead her community in prayer and religious guidance. The very first physical copy of the Quran was entrusted to the care of the Prophet's wife, Hasfa, Hasifa bint Omar. Additional examples of female scholars, poets, teachers, businesswomen, and leaders are scattered throughout the biographical text written in the early centuries of Islamic history, including thousands of female Muslim Hadith scholars called the Rawayat, female storytellers who were known for their expertise in passing down knowledge of the Prophet's life. However, their names and contributions remain buried except in academic classes about Muslim women. Unless we make a deliberate effort to attest to their names. Islamic history continues to be read as a narrative where men did all the heroic work and women merely assisted them in their endeavors. 
Likewise, the contributions of African Muslims who were brought over to the American shores and enslaved in the 16th and 17th centuries are not acknowledged. Supporting the master narrative that continues to suggest that white Christian males built this nation. As it is essential to a full understanding of American history to learn about Mustafa Zamari, a Moroccan Muslim who helped the Spaniards to navigate Florida and the Gulf Coast in the early 16th century, it is crucial for a full understanding of Islamic history to learn about Asma and her courage in standing up to Quraysh. Many times I wonder what would have happened if I heard Asma's story and the stories of everyday Muslim women through the Friday khutbah. What would have happened if my mother and other women from my neighborhood delivered the khutbah? What would have happened if I entered the veranda of the local mosque, looked up to khatibas and learned from him? Would Islamic history be different if taught by Muslim women in private and public? For many of us, there is a direct relationship between observing someone who looks like us in a position of authority and believing that we can also occupy that space. Role models are essential in the lives of young people as they explore their world of imagination and transform it into concrete possibilities. Observing female teachers and college professors in my youth made me believe that I could be one of them. Similarly, I needed to see female religious authority figures in mosques and other theological spaces to believe that such spaces and positions are open to me. A quick review of Islamic history reveals that most of the renowned early scholars, theologians, and jurists developed their knowledge by being part of a mosque which served not only as a congregational space, but also as a learning space to come together and build their interpretation of Islamic jurisprudence, philosophy, and theology through discussions, debates, preaching, and teaching. Khutbah is one of those traditions linked to Friday congregational prayer that has allowed male Islamic scholars to consider a topic from a theological perspective and extends its application to everyday life through inspirations and guidance. One can characterize it as a keynote lecture that combines close reading of the Islamic scriptures and life experiences and wisdom of the speaker. While prayer is a direct relationship between an individual and the Almighty God, and one of its purposes is to affirm one's belief in God constantly, khutbah extends and embodies the meaning of that individual relationship to the broader community through the voice of a human being. Unfortunately, up until recently, women have rarely participated in assuming the role of a khatiba for Friday prayers. A quick overview of the history of khutbah reveals that it has evolved in terms of the associated rituals, politics, and language. However, the tradition of men delivering the Friday khutbah continues to dominate in most of the mosques around the globe. Today, I would like to provide a short overview of the tradition of khutbah 
and shared significant findings of the interviews with two of the Hatibas of the Women's Mosque of America here. These interviews reveal that the opportunity to develop and deliver a khutbah has been a transformative experience not only for the Hatibas themselves, but for the Muslim women sitting in the congregation. The tradition of khutbah as a public oral sermon exists in the Arabic tradition. With the advent of Islam, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, linked khutbah to Friday prayer. After his arrival in Medina, he delivered the first khutbah. Al-Tabriz volume seven provides transcripts of the Prophet Muhammad's first Friday khutbah. It included many of the features that later became standard elements of Friday khutbah, such as Alhamdulillah, which is praised to be God, Quranic verses, and moral advice. Sahih al-Bukhari includes several hadiths that record that the Prophet used to divide his khutbah into two sections and sit in the middle. In the early history of Islam, the tradition of khutbah included both socio-political speeches and religious sermons. After the death of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his companions, halifs, and prominent tribe members delivered khutbahs on Friday and Eid prayers, as well as during important events. These early sermons, speeches, and khutbahs contained extortions, military instructions, and counsel. Therefore, speeches of Fatma al-Zohra, Prophet's wife, Aisha bint Abu Bakr, Prophet's wife, I'm sorry, Fatma al-Zohra, Prophet's daughter, Aisha bint Abu Bakr, Prophet's wife, and Zainab bint Ali, Prophet's granddaughter, are generally placed under the category of khutbah. However, with the beginning of the Abbasid regime, khutbah came to be linked to Friday and Eid prayers only. The political, cultural, and motivational speeches were placed in other classifications, such as preaching and storytelling. Moreover, the responsibility of delivering Friday khutbahs were transferred from rulers and provisional governors to officially appointed preachers, such as qadis and judges. With this transfer of responsibility, the tradition of written khutbah emerged. Model khutbahs were created, circulated, and practiced in mosques. With the rapid expansion of the Islamic population around the world, and to accommodate the interests of the large Muslim populations, the practice of written khutbahs, or the tradition of practice khutbah, has evolved to improvised khutbahs, which currently is in practice in most of the mass. However, in the early Islamic history, scholars and jurists debated about what a khutbah should or should not include. The delivery of khutbah in non-Arabic languages was one of the debates that continued the conversations in the early Islamic history. Since the Prophet Muhammad spoke Arabic, he delivered it in Arabic, and his companions and early rulers continued this tradition. However, with the rapid expansion of Islam in non-Arabic speaking area, like Persia and Byzantine, 
Early Muslim scholars and legal jurists argued if Arabic was essential for the delivery of khutbah. In debating this issue, scholars took a keen interest and paid close attention to the interests of the local populations, the spread of Islam, and understanding of the scripture. After much back and forth, scholars preferred the delivery of khutbah in Arabic. However, they disagreed on its being essential. With some differences in opinion, the majority of the Malaki, Shafi'i, and Hanbali schools of thought preferred but didn't require that khutbah be in Arabic language, even in situations where the local populations don't speak Arabic. They argued that through hearing the sermon in Arabic, masses would cultivate their knowledge and expertise in the language of the scripture. On the other hand, the majority of the Hanafi school allowed the delivery of khutbah in local languages. To support their argument, they use, they use the Quranic verse from chapter Ibrahim, which states, quote, and we sent not a messenger except with the language of his people in order that he might make the message clear for them, end of quote. The Hanafi school also argued that the divine message must be made clear in local languages so that it could be understood in following the scripture. Even though scholars and jurists continue to contemplate the legitimacy of khutbah in non-Arabic languages all over the globe, hatibs have been using local languages to connect advice, and build communities just like the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, envisioned. The following fatwa, legal ruling from the Permanent Committee for Scholarly Research and Iftaha, an organization responsible for issuing Islamic legal, legal rulings in Saudi Arabia since 1971, is useful in understanding why delivering Arabic is not essential. It states, quote, there is no proof in the hadith to suggest that the Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, stipulated that the Friday khutbah should be in Arabic. Rather, he delivered the khutbah in Arabic because it was his language and the language of his people. So the one who addressed them and guided them and reminded them spoke in their language that they understood. But he sent letters in Arabic to the kings and rulers of nations. And he knew that they spoke languages other than Arabic. And he knew that they would have them translated, them, translated into their languages so that they would know what was in them. Based on this, it is permissible for the hatib to deliver the khutbah in a language where the people or the vast majority of inhabitants do not speak Arabic, end of quote. Using the principles of ishtihad, which is efforts to build solutions, I find this fatwa, as mentioned earlier, very instrumental in extending the analogy of language to gender. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did not require that the khutbah had to be delivered by a male. And the Quran is silent on the topics of gender in regards to leading prayers and delivering khutbahs. I believe that since the, trans, I believe that the, since the tradition of the khutbah, 
allows women to gain in-depth knowledge of the Quran. It is important that we fully participate in writing and delivering it. I say what I have said. May God forgive all of us. Alhamdulillah, all praise and thanks are due to God alone. Although women's mosques have existed in many countries for hundreds of years, and there are some smaller sects within Islam that have practiced women-led khutbas, in contemporary mainstream Islamic history, Professor Amina Wadud started the tradition of women delivering the Friday khutbah in 1994. Here at the Women's Mosque of America, Muslim women have been delivering the khutbah as part of Friday prayer since 2015. While some hadibas are Islamic scholars and academics, other are professional and non-professional Muslim women, all of whom have valuable spiritual insights and wisdom from the unique first-hand perspective of their own lived experiences. The mosque also provides training and education on delivering the khutbah. These khutbahs are available online at the Women's Mosque of America, YouTube and iTunes channels and have become an important source of learning for everyone. Let me share some information from my interview with two of the hatibas who have delivered multiple Friday khutbahs here at the mosque. Samia Bano grew up in India, Pakistan, and Abu Dhabi before migrating to Culver City, California in the year 2000. As a young woman, Bano spent years researching Islamic law and jurisprudence. Muslims, both young and old, would frequently turn to her for her advice on her interpretations of Quranic verses. And she would spend hours reading and confirming opinions of the jurists of the classical texts. She also grew up in a household where her grandmother held milad, religious meetings. Her mother led prayers for women in large gatherings. At home, her mother led prayers for her nuclear family, while her father prayed behind her. Having closely observed women in religious leadership roles, Bano was among the first congregants to sign up to deliver khutbah. Her in-depth knowledge of Islam, combined with her educational background in the psychology of happiness and public speaking skills, prepared her both intellectually and emotionally to deliver her first khutbah a year after the opening of the mosque. Since then, she has delivered three additional khutbahs, and each time her delivery has become more comfortable. She attributes her growing confidence to having seen more women give khutbahs at the women's mosque and the positive reactions from the audience. She's not alone in having gained a sense of comfort over time. Gail Kennard, an African-American Muslim convert in her 60s, was excited when she heard about the opening of the Women's Mosque in Los Angeles. She was among the first congregants and was deeply moved by her peers' inclusive and egalitarian practices. When the mosque organizer asked Kennard to deliver khutbah, she felt a sense of anxiety. Since she had not seen women delivering khutbahs and therefore did not have a frame of reference, 
So she was initially hesitant. However, after prayer and meditation, she found the courage and voice within herself and she agreed. The topic of the Prophet Muhammad's multiple wives had perplexed her from the beginning when she converted to Islam. To find answers over the years, she turned to the Quran and read the verses about the Prophet's wives again and again. She noticed that in the Quran, God refers to the wives of the Prophet Muhammad as mothers of the believers and declares, quote, O consorts of the Prophet, you are not like any of the other women, end of quote. She had read these verses hundreds of times over the last 30 years. However, for the preparation of the khutbah, her deep reading of the verses allowed her to link them to the 12 disciples of Moses and the 12 disciples of Jesus. She characterized this as an aha moment. She finally understood the role of the Prophet Muhammad's wives in the teaching of the Quran and Prophet Muhammad's message as his 12 disciples. Rather than perpetuate the mainstream discourse that largely neglect Prophet Muhammad's wives outside of Hatija and Aisha, Kanad's khutbahs traced agency in each of the 12 lives of the Prophet's wives. Since 2015, Gail's khutbah has become one of the most watched on YouTube. Subsequently, she has given numerous other khutbahs each time becoming increasingly more comfortable standing at the podium and sharing her interpretations of the Quran with fellow Muslim women. She knew that other women had done it and so could she. I was intrigued to learn more about khutbah and wanted to deliver one after listening and observing multiple hatibas over the last couple of years. Specifically, their ability to use Islamic knowledge to connect with the audience was inspiring. The mosque use of the post-Friday prayer halakha, spiritual discussion circle, to discuss scriptures and their application in daily life has been so inclusive and engaging that suddenly the mosque has become an inviting space for me. It showed me that a mosque could be in a space that inspires learning as well as creates a sense of belonging. As an educator, I have been delivering public lectures at various academic institutions, locally and globally. However, I never allowed myself to be part of a theological space since I thought that such space was not available. After having observed and learned from Hatibas here at the Women's Mosque of America, I wanted to challenge myself to step up into a space that was outside of my comfort zone. By delivering a khutbah in a mosque, I am allowing myself to grow, not only academically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Instead of splitting myself into multiple identities and revealing only a tiny portion here and there, I'm stitching all these pieces together. I want to learn to stand tall and be accepted with all of my imperfections as I stand in front of the Almighty God. Maybe this is the power of the khutbah. It allows us to be vulnerable in front of our community as we allow ourselves to be vulnerable in front of our God. This practice of humility, which is the essence of Islam, allows us to transcend it from this theological space to other parts of our lives. Along with this spiritual power, khutbah has extensive practical implications. 
It allows us to develop and disseminate knowledge that formulates theological and legal policies for our everyday lives. Prior to hearing this khutbah, some of you may not have heard of Asma bint Abu Bakr and her courage to stand up to Quraysh. I hope that you learn more about her by asking questions, researching her lives, and sharing her contributions with other community members. By inserting her story, we are reshaping the master narrative of the Hijra. Moreover, we are continuing to cultivate the tradition of making mosque as a space of circular learning. This teaching and learning process is providing additional opportunities for women to come forward with untold stories and feel comfortable in claiming religious authority within religious spaces. With more women participating in writing and interpreting Islamic jurisprudence, theology, and philosophy all around the globe, gender roles are going to change everywhere. I look forward to that day. God commands justice, doing good, and generosity towards relatives. And God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so you may take heed. Recite what has been revealed to you of the book and stay consistent in prayer. Indeed, prayer restrains the human from lewd and wicked behavior. But the remembrance of God is even greater. And God knows everything you are doing. Wa kamal Islam. Let's perform the prayer. <laughs>